Well, I know Scott already said it, but good morning. We're glad you braved the roads and made it out today. And we want to welcome you. And not just that, but we want to invite you to attend Alpha. If you've not had the chance to attend Alpha before, or if it's been a long time, it starts tonight, 5 o'clock, right out here in the fellowship hall. Uh, dinner will be served, and it will be a great time. We have our, our kids' activities, so if you're a parent with young children, um, you've got a place for, for them to hang out while you attend Alpha. And it's just a great introduction to the Christian faith, and uh, just just kind of building on some foundations. And um, we, uh, we, just, we just hope that you, you'll check it out if you have not had the opportunity. If you're new here or newer, uh, it'll be a great opportunity for you to build some friendships and maybe meet some people that you haven't had a chance to talk to before as you go through the course and have small groups there uh, together. So we just really want to encourage you and uh, challenge you to take part in Alpha. On uh, the 24th, just coming up this week, the Wild Game Dinner will be taking place from 6 to 9 p.m. Uh, come on out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Guys, if you have, I've been told to encourage you to bring your antlers. If you have, uh, what, big or small, bring them out because there'll be a, there'll be a contest to, to, with some prizes and some giveaways and things uh, based on, on the, antler, the antler size. And then also there's going to be a contest based on um, the, the dish uh, that you bring. And so if you, uh, if you have a specialty, you know, you can work magic with that squirrel or uh, possum or whatever it is that you're going to bring, uh, please uh, come on out, uh, bring some of your favorite wild game, and it'll be a great, great potluck, great time. Uh, my cousin Shane Klum will be here to speak, and um, he, uh, he's got some amazing stories to tell. And um, in fact, just just recently, the guy is the guy has hunted and, and killed all kinds of animals. And um, ironically, uh, last week he almost lost his arm to a spider. <laughs> he uh, he got bit by a spider and got MRSA in the the spider bite, and it got infected. And uh, I saw a text of his of his arm, and the doctors almost had to take his arm off. It was it got very 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 bad, and so he. Um, uh, I, I don't know if he'll talk a little bit about that, but it just had a real scary ordeal over the past couple of weeks. Um, but uh, the, guy can, the guy can take down bears and uh, elk and all kinds of things, but spider just about finishes him off. And uh, so I, I hope that you'll come out and have a chance to hear him and, and just share your favorite dish and, and celebrate um, the, the joy that you get from, from hunting. And even if you're not a hunter, come on out and, and spend some time and, and hang out. Uh, lastly, I want to make mention that uh, we're going to next week start a series called Foundations, and it kind of coincides with Alpha. Alpha is a, is a really a foundational course in laying the, laying the foundations for our Christian faith, and what we want to do through this five-week series is just go over some of the major themes of the Bible. We're going to talk about revelation, that is God's revelation to man, that God speaks to man. We're going to talk about revelation, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And they're kind of five major themes that run throughout the course of Scripture and, and from Genesis to Revelation help us kind of have a framework on which to hang the rest of the stories that the Bible teaches us. So I, I hope you'll join us for that five-week series. Um, today, however, I want to take a few moments. Today is um, the Sanctity for Human Life Sunday, as some of you may have seen on the Internet or on Facebook or on your calendars. Um, this week we remember the anniversary of Roe v. Wade 1973, when 
our nation legalized abortion. And it has completely changed, literally, the face of this nation. Abortion completely and totally has altered and and really wiped out a generation. So the title of my message this morning is, Why All Christians Should Be Pro-Life. Why All Christians Should Be Pro-Life. As I was thinking about it this week, I, I've, I've grown up hearing this message. I've grown up hearing that God cares for the unborn. That if you understand God's word, you should be pro-life. And so I, I thought to myself, do we really need to hear this message in church? Is this something that we need? Am I just preaching to the choir? Is this something we've all got figured out and can move past because we're, we're learned about this issue? The fact is, when it comes to abortions... I read this week that uh, for women who go into abortion clinics to have abortion, 43% of those identify themselves as Protestant. Another 27% identify themselves as Catholic. Uh, if, if their admissions are correct, that means that over two-thirds of women who choose to have abortions identify themselves as Christians of some sort. This is a message that we need to have constantly be brought before us, to be reminded of what God's Word says regarding this issue. This is not, first and foremost, a political or a social issue. It has has become those that there are reasons to be uh, proactive and involved in, in politics when it comes to this issue. But this is, first and foremost, a biblical issue that finds its roots in God's Word. See, we could take different approaches to this. You could talk about the social effects and the cultural effects of abortion. You could, you could think about the fact that 56,662,169 people are not here in the United States because of abortion since 1973. You could think about the effects that that has, all the doctors that have not been born, all of the pastors that have not been born, all of the missionaries that have not been born all of the moms and dads, the brothers and sisters that have not been born. You could talk about the fact that um, more people, more babies have been aborted since 1973 than the entire population of Canada or the state of California. nation of South Africa has 54 million people less than the total number of abortions in the United States since 1973. You could talk about the psychological effects on mothers, the the pain and agony that it causes them for years to come. Women will tell you, if they're in in moments of honesty, that they still think about that decision 20, 30, 40 years later. While we forget about other surgeries and procedures, that's one that, that stays with those who choose to have an abortion. You could talk about the physical effects on mothers and all of the the increased risk of cancers, infertility, and other side effects. You could talk about the human rights aspect of it and all of these human beings that did not have a choice in the taking of their lives. But this morning, I want us to consider the biblical aspect of it. Why is it that God calls us as believers to be pro-life? Why should this be an important, important issue to those who name the name of Christ? I'm just going to briefly consider five reasons this morning out of God's Word. And if you have your Bibles 
Um, we're going to kind of be bouncing around. I don't normally like to do that, but we're going to put the, the Scripture passages on the screen if, if we're moving along too fast. And if you have your notes, you can fill in the blanks. First of all, just simply that, that God forbids murder. God forbids murder. There are very few, even pro-choice advocates today that would argue that that's, that's not a life, that that's not a human being. But with 3D ultrasound and, and DNA testing and the ability to understand the very early stages right after conception, we realize that that's, that's a life with a beating heart. And that means that when we snuff it out, it's what is called murder. The Ten Commandments speak directly to that. Exodus twenty thirteen: you shall not murder. Murder is the unlawful killing of one person by another, especially with premeditated malice. The intentional taking of a human life. Human life is given great value in the Bible. The Bible teaches us that we're created in God's image, that we're formed, we're given life, that He cares about those whom He gives breath to. And human life is viewed as a sacred trust. It is because of this that taking human life as viewed as, is viewed as a serious crime in the Bible. God tells us, thou shalt not murder. He doesn't give us a list of footnotes or reasonable excuses. He says, don't murder. Do not take the life of another. Just because you have not seen that life, you cannot look into his or her eyes because they can't speak. The Bible says God hates murder. The second thing that should be important to us regarding this matter from God's Word is the Bible teaches that God creates life at conception. If that, if that child is a human, then we need to realize that, that taking its life would, would be murder. And this, this life does not begin once... He, takes his, he or she takes his first breath. It does not begin once he or she uh, can speak. Once he or she has developed their own personality and identity outside the womb. In a beautiful and familiar passage in Psalm 139, David says, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Don't miss the beauty of this passage. The Bible says that that God formed us, all of, our, all of our parts within the mother's womb. It's not simply a, a biological act that's taking place inside of the mother's womb. It is that, but it's not only that. The Bible says that God is forming that baby, that human life. And we, deep down we recognize this. We know this. The mother that is going to keep her baby calls that baby a baby all nine months. This is what my baby's doing. And they post on Facebook, I felt my baby kick today. 
all the exciting milestones. Those who want to dehumanize it refer to it as a fetus. And it's interesting because I think that probably that same person, maybe if they were pregnant at an inconvenient time of their life and they chose abortion, at one time in their life they may refer that to that as a fetus. But then if they get pregnant again at a more convenient time for them and it's, it's going to be socially acceptable and financially doable for them to have the baby so they decide to keep it, all of a sudden now they're calling that a, a baby inside of them. Our laws recognize this. We, we see there's double standards. A woman can choose to snuff out the life inside of her. Yet if someone else were to murder that woman, it's considered a double homicide. We recognize that what is inside of her is truly life. That life begins at conception. Because God has breathed His life in. That's an image-bearing child of His inside of that mother's womb. Thirdly, third scriptural reason that we need to be pro-life is that God cares deeply for the weak and helpless. God cares for the weak and helpless. All throughout the Bible, God exhorts His followers, His people, to take care of those who can't take care of themselves, who, who who are helpless, who are physically struggling to make it through life. Psalm 82 Verses 3 and 4, God says to give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. We recognize that if there's anybody who needs help, there's anybody who is weak, anybody who is helpless, it's a, it's a little baby, whether that baby is still in his or her mommy's tummy, or whether they've, they've come into the world. If you've been around a newborn, you know that they can't do anything for themselves. They can't sit up yet. They can't feed themselves. They can't change themselves. They can't dress themselves. For a period of time, they're, they're very, 100% reliant upon mom and dad. They are completely needy. If this verse applies to anybody... It applies to babies. God also says in Exodus 22, He says, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. That means someone who is traveling through their land. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat a widow or a fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I'll kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. Guys, you can see God's very serious about this, about taking care of those who are needy, who are on their own. God has a tender place in His heart for those who need help. Fourthly, God commands us to be rescuers. God commands us to be rescuers. If we have the capability of helping those people in need, God calls us to do it. God calls us not to stand idly by, to watch, to to come up with excuses, but to intervene and to step in. There's a very poignant and convicting verse in Proverbs 24, two verses, verses 11 and 12. He says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? 
Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his word? Wow, you hear what those verses are saying? He says people who are, who are being taken away to death, people who are being physically harmed, he says rescue them. There's, there's a command here, two commands. First of all, rescue those who are being taken away to death. And then he says hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. He's, the, the Hebrews here repeating itself to emphasize the same point. If you have the chance to intervene to save somebody, to help protect them, you need to do it. And he, he, he finishes with a warning. He says, first of all, if you make excuses, if you say, oh, we didn't know anything about this. He says, God knows your heart. You can't pull anything by God. You can't deceive God. You can't fool God. He knows if you knew about it or not. And in case you didn't, as of this morning, you now know that there is a huge need and a huge responsibility on, on our behalf to intervene for these innocent children. He says, Behold, does not he, behold, um, does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it, and will he not repay you according to your deeds? We're reminded that God will hold us accountable. Hold us accountable for what we knew and what we did with it. It's inconvenient, though. We're busy people. We have a lot of it on our plate. We have a lot of responsibilities in our life. A lot to do. And we might be thinking, well, what can I add to the equation? What, what can I do to help? I'm just one person. Just a drop in the bucket. But our individual choices matter, and our individual involvement even if we perceive it as small, truly does make a difference. I know it can be difficult. It can be even maybe affect your relationship with other people. Maybe it will hurt your standing with your friends and family. It'll take away from something that you really want to be doing. But God says that when we see an injustice going on and we just kind of make up our excuse and move on, that He'll judge us for that. There's a New York Post article on April 24, 2010 that told the story of a heroic homeless man who had been stabbed after saving a Queens woman from a knife-wielding attacker. He lay dying in a pool of blood for more than an hour as nearly 25 people indifferently strolled past him. A shocking surveillance video caught it all on tape. Some of the passers-by paused to stare at Hugo Alfredo tail yaks last Sunday as others leaned down to look at his face. The article goes on to say, he had jumped to the aid of a woman attacked on 144th Street at 88th Road in, um, at, uh, at 5.40 a.m., He was stabbed several times in the chest and collapsed as he chased his assailant. In the wake of the bloodshed, a man came out of a nearby building and chillingly took a cell phone photo of the victim before leaving. In several instances, pairs of people gawked at him without doing anything. Later, another man stopped, leaned over, and vigorously shook the man's body. After lifting the victim's head and body to reveal a pool of blood, 
he also walked off. Not until some 15 minutes after he was shaken by that pedestrian, more than an hour and 20 minutes after he first collapsed, did firefighters finally arrive and discover that Alfredo, Hugo Alfredo Taliax, 31, had died. You know, we, we hear a story like that and we think that's, that's awful. He, he did the right thing. He intervened. He, he was a bystander and he could have done what everybody else had done with him and, and just stood by idly. But he chose to intervene and protect this woman, possibly saving her life. And for that, he lost his own life. And in different, 25 different people walked by because it was too inconvenient. Maybe too many questions. Too busy to be concerned about this man. And we see that with a living person who's bleeding out there. And we, if you were to watch the video, I'm sure we'd all be appalled and think, those people, they, they didn't do anything. They just walked past. And I, I wonder how many of us are doing the same thing when it comes to babies who are be, being aborted by the millions every year. We're just walking past because it's, it's, it's too inconvenient, it's too messy, too time-consuming. Final reason from God's Word that I want us to see why being pro-life is the, the only biblical way to go is that God loves babies. And I was reminded of this story from Luke chapter 18 where Jesus is sitting there and the, and the children were coming to them and it says in verse 15, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. That's the, that word for, the Bible has different words for children and And that word, translated infants, means babies. It wasn't just a a general word for kids, but it means even little little small babies. It was the word that was used of Jesus in Luke 2 when he was born. It says, They were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. The disciples were inconvenienced. They they thought, there's no time here for these guys. We we need to get to the important people. Let's let's talk to the Pharisees. Let's talk to the the wealthy people. Let's talk to the the people with some social standing. Let's get to the adults because they're the important people around here. And Jesus said, no. No, he rebuked them. And he called to them saying, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And Jesus used the children who were present as a springboard to teach that that we need to have faith like children approaching God and that that humble, simple faith. But a secondary point that can be drawn from this passage is Jesus' compassion towards children, his heart towards them. He wasn't just using them as a teaching tool, but his, his compassion, his gentleness reflected The little babies, kids, the helpless are very, very important to Jesus. He has a tender place in his heart for those who are cast aside, those who are hurting, those who don't have a voice. Jesus offers his love love and hope to them. So what do we do that, that, that... and we could go on. There, there are more things that you could draw to Scripture, more passages. What, what do we do with this, though? 
What do we do with God's Word now that we know what He says about this? Well, I want to, first of all, just... I, I just want to, first of all, share a word with anyone who m- may be in this room who has made the choice to have an abortion in the past. The woman who felt like she had nowhere else to turn. The guy who had no clue what to do with a baby and talked his girlfriend in to going to the clinic. I, I, I just want to speak to you for a moment. I want you to hear, first of all, that abortion is not the unpardonable sin. Abortion is not the unpardonable sin. God extends His grace and His forgiveness to each and every one of us. And you say, but you, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand the, the pain and the hurt that has come from a choice that I've made. I don't deserve to be forgiven. And to that I would say, you're right. You don't deserve to be forgiven any more than I deserve to be forgiven for my sin. All of us stand in here as people who don't deserve to be forgiven. And that's the whole point of grace is that it's unmerited, it's not earned. I didn't do anything to cause God's ear to bend towards me, to cause Him to glance at me and say, Aha! I'll take that guy. I want him on my team because of his shining righteousness. No. No. God's forgiveness is extended to a bunch of unworthy, undeserving sinners like you and me. The Bible says that just as God forgives us from greed and from lust and from bitterness and envy and jealousy and anger, God also forgives us for things like abortion. Psalm 103.10. can't remember if I put these in here or not. No, I didn't. Uh, Psalm 103.10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. And the passage goes on to say that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to know this morning that whether, whether you're uh, guilty of, of whatever sin you're guilty of, be it abortion or jealousy or anger or lust or murder or adultery, God says that if you come to him and confess that to you, that your forgiveness is full and complete and you are righteous in his sight. And there is no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. That he has cast that sin as far as the east is from the west. And I know from from things I've read that even once someone comes to Christ, Oftentimes they still have the lingering effects of a decision like that weighing upon them. And so I want you to know that there's help out there. There's people that want you to talk to them. The ladies up at Hope and Harrison would love to sit down and talk with you. We have uh, a great staff here that would, would be just blessed by the opportunity to share God's word with you and help minister to you in your, in your pain and in your heartache. 
But what about the rest of us? What, what is God calling us to do about this issue? You, you may be pro-life, but I, I want to challenge you this morning that it's, it's not just enough to, to vote for a, a pro-life candidate at election time or, or uh, to simply show up on, on the Sanctity for Human Life Sunday. I, I think there are other things that we need to be proactively involved in. It's one thing to fire off passionate arguments, make Facebook posts, but it's, it's quite another to put action to your words. And I just want to challenge you with a couple of ways you can be involved. First of all, I want to ask you, do you give? Do you give? Is there anything that you do with your finances, your resources, to help the pro-life cause? Do you, do you challenge or do you help support pregnancy resource centers, places like Hope and Harrison or Joshua's House, organizations that are going to help minister to these young ladies who are trying to decide what to do with that little life inside of them. Better than anything else, our finances reveal what, is, what we do with our finances reveals what's important to us. Do you volunteer? Do you look for ways to give your time? <laughs> I know time is precious. I know we're all really, really busy. But being able to sit down and talk to a young lady who's considering abortion. Sit down and being able to talk to a young man who is absolutely clueless with what to do with his girlfriend now that she's pregnant. There are places that you can step in, whether that's at Hope or Joshua's house, or looking for ways, maybe it's, maybe it's even, listen, we've got to think about, being pro-life talks, uh, covers all ends of the, pers- the spectrum. So maybe, it's, maybe you're at, uh, at a, um, a nursing home or a place where you're working with people who have disabilities, and you're volunteering there and giving your time there. That's, that's part of the pro-life movement. That's part of the pro-life movement. You volunteer. Thirdly, do you pray? Do you pray for pregnancy centers? Do you pray for our politicians? Do you pray for laws to change? Do you pray for the unwed teen mothers in our schools? Do you pray? And then finally, have you opened your home? Do you look for ways to celebrate the pro-life cause and, and support the pro-life cause by opening your home, maybe through foster care or, or, or giving uh, shelter to a teen mother, adoption? All of these activities support the pro-life movement. Back in 1985, there was a family with four children living in the Philippines as missionaries. The mother contracted amoebic dysentery, likely from contaminated drinking water, and she fell into a coma. She received strong drugs to combat the infection, but it, unbeknownst to her, it turned out that she was pregnant with the couple's fifth child. The drugs caused the placenta to detach from the uterine wall, depriving the, the fetus the child, of oxygen. When it was realized she was pregnant, the doctors stopped the drugs but said that the high doses of medicine had likely already damaged the baby and that if he lived, he would be severely deformed. The doctors believed that there was danger to the mother, that the baby would not survive, but if he did, he would have very serious problems. And so they, they told her that the only way to save this baby, the only way to save the mother and uh, assure her health and her safety was that she should have an abortion. 
As many of you know, this woman chose not to abort her baby. She chose to take the risk and chose to carry this baby to full term. As many of you know, this young child uh, was named Tim Tebow. She refused to have an abortion. She asked for God's help. She was in bed rest at a Manila hospital for the final two months of the pregnancy. And God brought forth a healthy baby. After Timmy was born, the doctor who delivered him said only a small part of the placenta had remained attached, but it was miraculously just enough to keep the baby nourished all these months. And we know the end of the story. We know the man that uh, he has grown up to become because God chose to honor the faith of a family who decided not to take the life of their child. He chose to be obedient to God, to choose life over the quote-unquote easy way out. If I, if I had to guess, I would say probably most of us sitting in this room are pro-life. We were, we were before we came here today. We recognize that abortion is wrong. We recognize that God loves life, all of it. Whether we have a chance to see that baby or whether that baby's still growing inside his or her mommy's womb. But I want to challenge you to take it a step further and ask you now what? You're pro-life, okay. That's a great starting point. The Bible teaches those, those principles. But I want to ask you now, so what? What are you going to do to be involved? What are you going to do to rescue those, as Proverbs says, who are being led away to death? Let's pray. God, we see in your word that you are the giver of life. And therefore, you are the ultimate pro-life being. You tell us in Scripture that, that not only do you give life, but then you've come to save our lives. You've come to save our souls. You care deeply about your creation. Every single one of them, even if they don't have a voice, even if they can't speak up, even if they, they can't defend themselves. God, I pray that we would see that first and foremost this morning and, and then you would help us to not just be okay with a, a intellectual assent to these principles, but then put our hands and our feet to our beliefs, to the, the things that we claim to believe anyway. And that we would choose to get involved, that we would choose to make a difference, that we would choose to use our lives to help save unborn lives. And we need your grace for that, God. And I also just want to ask that you would strengthen and come alongside of those who are here that may have made that decision at some point in their past. And they just feel overwhelmed with the guilt of it. God, I ask that you would help them to understand your forgiveness that they would know that in a very real and a powerful way. And that they would be able to use their story to encourage and come alongside those who are wrestling with the same decision that they had to battle with. Thank you, God, that you love life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.